0: You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on Palm Sunday, April 14th, 2019. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. And when he had said these things And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So what are some words that come to mind when you think of Jesus? I think often we would think of words like savior, redeemer, maybe king, Christ, maybe even Messiah. But I'm guessing that the first word that comes to mind is not rebel. Is that the first word that comes to mind for you? Rebel? No. No, but in fact, that's exactly what Jesus was. He was a rebel. Jesus began his rebel movement at a synagogue, reading from the prophet Isaiah. And we see this in Luke chapter 4. Jesus has gone to visit his hometown. He's begun to gather some fame in Israel. And the people of his hometown are excited to see Jesus coming home. And so Jesus goes into the synagogue where he grew up. He goes there on the Sabbath, and he gets up as a visiting rabbi to read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And so he reads to the people, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and gives it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, it says in the scriptures. And then Jesus began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that's not just any kind of language because this scroll of the prophet Isaiah was talking about the coming Messiah, the coming anointed one. And the coming Messiah was to be a son of David, was to be a king, was to be the one who would restore Israel. And when you read the gospels with that in mind, when you read the gospels thinking as a first century Jew, thinking about what these scriptures from the Old Testament meant to them, you can see that as Jesus gathered this movement around him, He was, in fact, gathering a rebellion. He wasn't the first to do this. There had been many other famous rebellions. Maybe the most famous of them before this was one led by Judas Maccabeus about 200 years earlier. The Jews lived under the oppression of the Romans. They were waiting for someone to come and save them. So they might indeed think of Savior, but... I guarantee they didn't think of savior in the way that you think of savior. They were looking for someone to redeem Israel, but I guarantee they weren't thinking of redeemer in the way that you think of redeemer. And they were thinking of Jesus, the Messiah as a king, but not in some way where we say, oh yeah, Jesus is king. They meant Jesus is king. And so as Jesus reads from this scroll, he begins his rebel movement. He begins to gather people around him, around this movement, this ministry. He demonstrates God's power over all that is broken by healing the sick, by raising the dead, and by proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. And he challenged the powers that be, all of them, regardless of, of who they represented. There were lots of powers that be, lots of people that represented different interest groups and power groups. And he challenged every single one of them. He alienated all of them. He wasn't interested in joining their movement. He had a movement of his own. He was a rebel. And so he challenges Herod. He challenges the Romans. He challenges the temple authorities. And he especially challenges the Pharisees, a group of lawkeepers that you might expect him to kind of get along with. If you wanted to to pick one group out of all these groups that that Jesus would say, the Messiah would say, yeah, those are my people, it would be the Pharisees. They were people who loved the law of God, who desired to keep the law of God. And yet Jesus challenges even them. Lent was prefaced this year as it is every year by the story of the Transfiguration. We saw that when Bishop Neal was here among us about you know, a month and a half ago. And in Luke's gospel, the transfiguration uh, story shares something with us that is different from every other version of the transfiguration story. It's the same story, but it has a detail that's not found in the others. And that detail, Bishop Neal highlighted, it's in verse 51 of chapter 9. No, that's not right. It's in... Verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in his glory and spoke of his departure. The word departure there, as Bishop Neal pointed out, is the word exodus. Jesus was connecting what he was going to do in Israel with the exodus, the most powerful story of Israel's history, the story that defined God's people as who they were. The story that lived in the very being of every Israelite, every first century Jew. Jesus was preparing for his exodus in Jerusalem. And he was about to accomplish it. And on this day, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And this is an event that we often refer to as the triumphal entry. What are some words you think of when you think of triumph and triumphal entries? Perhaps the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, that wonderful piece of architecture which was designed for a victory parade of Napoleon's army. The Romans had victory parades all the time. Every time they conquered someone, they would bring them along with all of the captives that they took to Rome, and they would march them through the streets of Rome, and they would imprison those who needed to be imprisoned, and they would execute those who needed to be executed. They would humiliate the people that they had conquered, and it was their way of saying, we have declared victory, triumph. And so Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and we hear the people of the crowds Shouting praises. And what are they shouting? They're shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David, the King of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you hear the rebel words there? These are the people of his movement. They're ready. This is Jesus' victory. The war is beginning. Jesus is about to do what he's gonna do. He's been building this campaign for three years and now the time has come. You can sense the excitement of the people. But what was Jesus riding? He wasn't riding a war horse. He wasn't carrying a sword. And he wasn't wearing any armor. He was riding a donkey. That's not the most victorious animal you've ever seen. I saw a donkey at the fair last weekend. It's kind of funny looking when you think about it. It's kind of slow, it lumbers along. It's a strong animal, it does what it does, but you're certainly not riding into war on a donkey. What was Jesus doing? I think this was the biggest case of, I didn't see that coming that ever happened. Jesus was, in fact, a king. And Jesus was, in fact, bringing about a new kingdom, but it was a different kind of kingdom. When Jesus faces Pilate in the Gospel of John, Pilate challenges him and says, these people are saying that you're calling yourself the king of the Jews. What does Jesus respond? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Sure, he could have made a kingdom of this world. Sure, he could have snapped his fingers and his rebel disciples would have come to his aid immediately. Angels, he could have called down heaven to come to his rescue. And Jesus said so, but he didn't. He had a different kind of kingdom in mind. And Jesus is fighting a different kind of enemy. Even though he challenges everyone in authority, his battle isn't with any one of them. Jesus' battle is with the ruler of the prince of this world, a title that he uses for Satan three times in the Gospel of John. But particularly, I want to point out John chapter 12, verses 27 to 31. Now my soul is troubled, Jesus says. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there heard it and they said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. That is the enemy that Jesus is going after. That is the kingdom that Jesus is going after. It's not a kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is taking back the world for himself. He's taking back heaven for himself. He's beginning to set right everything that's wrong. So if Jesus is bringing about a different sort of kingdom and fighting a different sort of enemy, we shouldn't be surprised that he does it with a different kind of victory, a different kind of warfare. When the United States was fighting against England, the motherland, the land that had sent the settlers to our area. They were fighting against a king that was from so far away, fighting against taxes that they had no say in. And when the British came, they came in their red coats and they lined up on the battlefield like good soldiers do, like every good army did in that time. And what did the American soldiers do? They hid in the bushes. They shot at them from places that they couldn't see. This was the first guerrilla war. They use a different kind of warfare, a kind of warfare that the enemy didn't expect. And that's what Jesus does. He fights his battle in a way that the enemy does not expect, in a way that nobody expected, actually. He fulfills the hopes, the desires, the wishes of nobody except the Father himself. Because Jesus was singly focused on pleasing his Father in heaven. He didn't care what the Pharisees thought. He didn't care what Herod thought, or Pilate, or the Romans, or Caesar. He was doing his Father's business. This wasn't an earthly battle against the Romans or Herod. This wasn't an intellectual battle with the Pharisees or the temple authorities. It was a rescue mission to snatch the children of the father out of the grasp of the ruler of this world. Sin holds us captive. It holds us in bondage to the enemy, <laughs> chained up in dark places. There's a, a nonprofit organization called Operation Underground Railroad that sends former military commandos into dark places in this world to rescue children out of human trafficking. And they bust in in the dark of night with flashlights and guns and they still steal children out of brothels and all kinds of dark places that they shouldn't be. And they take them to safe places. Places where they can heal. This is what Jesus does for us. He rescues us from dark places. He rescues us from the bondage of sin and death, but he does it differently than Operation Underground Railroad. Jesus does it by going into those dark places and taking our place in them. He frees us from chains and he puts the chains on himself. He takes our place so that we can be free. As he approached death, John Newton an Anglican priest and the writer of the hymn Amazing Grace said my memory is nearly gone but I remember two things that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior this is the victory this is the battle This is the triumph of the triumphal entry. Jesus is about to do battle, but it's in a way nobody expects. And as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he knows that the time has come. Everything has come to a head. Satan has already begun to use the Pharisees and the temple authorities and the Romans for his wicked plan. In chapter 19, just a little after what we read today, beginning in verse 47, It says, and and he was teaching daily in the temple after the triumphal entry. And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. They would find something to do. They would find a way in. They would bring him to judgment before Pilate and before the Sanhedrin he would be whipped and beaten and mocked. A crown of thorns would be placed on his head. This was the enemy's plan. But the enemy didn't realize it was also the Father's plan. And what Satan intended for evil, God intended for good. And so Jesus turns the enemy's plan and he uses it against him. If you've ever seen the martial art of judo you know that it's based on the the principle that you use the momentum of your opponent and turn it against them and flip them and pin them to the ground and so when your opponent comes to attack you you throw them over your shoulder and all of a sudden they don't know what happened to them but they're they're sucking air and they're on the ground and they don't they don't know what happened and that's what jesus does he takes the enemy's plan and he flips it over And the enemy shakes his head and wonders what happened. Holy Week begins today. It's our annual opportunity to reflect upon Jesus, his suffering, and our salvation. It's a perfect time to reflect on those two things that John Newton reflected on. That each of us are great sinners. And that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. Bishop Neal, in a letter he sent to all the clergy this week, uh, wanted us to challenge all of you and ourselves. And Bishop Neal says, I challenge you and myself to take personally all that Jesus has done for you. His sufferings, his death, his resurrection. Thus, may the Lord Jesus make himself more deeply known to you in this Holy Week and beyond. We have an opportunity this week reflect the collect that we started the day with today says this assist us mercifully with your help O Lord God of our salvation that we may enter with joy upon the contemplation of those mighty acts whereby you have given us life and immortality and that's what we do as we walk through Holy Week it's an opportunity to read the scriptures to read about Jesus's passion And it's an opportunity to come together and worship and to walk with Jesus on the road to his suffering. So come and participate with Jesus this week. Come take your place among his disciples. Come participate in Jesus' Last Supper. Pray with Jesus in the garden. Walk in the way of suffering with Jesus, as did Peter and John and Mary place his body in the tomb with Joseph of Arimathea and celebrate his resurrection when we come together next Sunday for the most important celebration of the whole Christian year. This is the victory of our rebel king. This is the kingdom that he brought into the world. This is our salvation. Praise be to Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Let us pray. Lord, you are holy. Lord, you are king. You are king of our lives. You are king of this church. And you are king of this world. We thank you, Lord, that you were willing to walk in the way of suffering. We thank you that you were willing to take our place in bondage and in chains. And we thank you that you broke those chains free, releasing us from sin and death. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to enter into the contemplation of these mighty acts by which we find our life and our salvation. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see us sitting around that table with your disciples, standing at the foot of your cross, waiting as the stone is rolled away from the tomb and watching you emerge in victory. Help us to see us in your story because your story is our story. What a wonderful Savior. What a glorious king. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.